Guys, hey, we're 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 in a very. This is a, uh, we're gonna. Okay, we're we're almost. I think we got probably like eight more meetings or so, and then we will um, be out. We will be done with the book of Genesis, and, I'll, and 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 I got some surprises for you. So don't think. Don't be like, whoo! You should be like, praise them. I learned a lot. That's what, that's the kind of disposition we want, right? The Lord is doing a great work in us. Y'all look kind of tired. Okay, so. Here's what we're doing, guys. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 40. If you are new here, a couple ground rules. You can ask questions. Uh, we just ask that they would bless the body. If not, please, in a sense where you think it's going to be just for me, uh, you can, we can just come up afterwards or, or conversate or even argue about it in your mat groups. Um, that's always cool. Uh, but if you want to ask me, that's totally cool as well. Uh, we also want to encourage you... Uh, that you can go on www.macav.com and grab, hopefully, the sermons if you want to catch up. Uh, so you'd have to listen to a bunch, but it's doable. And um, because we can't every week go through exactly what's going on through the whole book of Genesis. So we're going to just jump right in um, into our journey in chapter 40 um, to just encourage you. Now, uh, when we talk about uh, Bible study methods or, uh, what you know, a word... Um, they talk about his hermeneutics of rules of interpretation. Uh, right now we're in chapter 40 and a couple of ground rules I want to give you is where is we, you hear a lot. I don't know if you've heard, but, but a lot of times when people teach, you want to talk about what's called the big idea. Uh, that's a, a guy, um, Haddon Robinson, came up with this whole term. This is the big idea. And this is just one thing you want to find in the text. Um, I think sometimes that's cool. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm totally sold on like, the text. Every time you read it gives you one big idea, uh, especially in narratives. I think there's a lot of things that God is trying to do um, in a narrative. This one's very interesting because it's, um, it's dealing with a specific story. And so we're going to stop in chapter 41, in like the middle of chapter 41, but the story is going to continue. So, so basically, I think the, the biggest thing maybe that the, the author is trying to tell us, I don't even think is in that chapter. Necessarily, I think it's going to be culminating toward the end. But what we're going to do is we're going to try and give some ideas and some implications. And remember, over and over again, we've talked about the difference between interpretation and implications. Right. So you have your main interpretation of like here. It seems like the author wants us to get these few things uh, from the text. And then you have implications where there's certain things that the text is implying, but you can't make that the central idea. And so what we'll try to do together is we'll try to navigate the difference between this seems kind of like some implications that we can talk about that seem to be true. Some character traits, uh, things of that sort. But to be clear, uh, the book of Genesis, far be it, the book in Scripture, the, the canon of Scripture is not a, a study on character. Um, not necessarily. It's not about you finding out how to be a person that can have friends and influence people. Right. And then you kind of read the Bible and get really good at it and then leave and go, wow, man, I'm just such a good self-help guru. Like that's not the goal of the scriptures is not to make you a better person, but it's really to make you a worshiper. And so the whole focus of the scriptures is God. Right. It's good guy, bad people. Um, but we're going to see some implications here. So I just wanted to make that really clear. And, and another thing, too, is. Um, in chapter 40 and 41, um, I think this is some, there's some sobering things here. So I want you to um, stick with me because I maybe or maybe not. I might say some things that might be a little uh, pointed, but I'm just trying to think through stuff. And I'm trying to have you think with me uh, as as we look at some of the conclusions. OK, guys. So before you don't get mad at me and throw Bibles or whatever, just kind of um, don't judge it. Just kind of let's just go to the all the end of the story and hopefully you'll be encouraged. OK, guys. And with that said, we are in chapter 40 and we are dealing with our man, Joseph, 
who we know is part of this central lineage that, that God has sort of beelined on. He's sort of like he's, he's honed in on for us to understand what God is doing in redemptive history. Basically history where man is evil and then God is going to make man great because he's great. Um, and so what he does here, you, you have the lineage of you have um, Abraham, you know, you have Isaac, Jacob. Then Jacob has his 12 kids and then they have, you know, I'm sorry, 12 12 sons and a daughter. He has 13 kids. Um, and then and then the, the, the author sort of like zones in a little more where he shows you specifically uh, there's a lack of leadership. They're all sinning. They're all crazy. By the way, if you miss any of the, the understanding of Genesis, one thing we want to make really clear is that is that when you hear these terms, these people like Jacob and you go, wow, those would be really godly people. One thing that our body has learned through study is that everyone is really messed up and really foul and really nasty. And it gives us all hope because we go, wow, he's just as foul as me. So maybe I can be a Christian. And that's basically the goal of scriptures is to show you that uh, God can save anyone because we're all just evil. Um, and then what he does, and if you knew, I hope that's not like, oh, he called me evil. Well, you are, though. But, I don't, you know, so and God is good. So what, what happens in, in in chapter 40 is now we, we've seen he's, he's kind of focusing on okay, you got these 12 guys. But now we're going to look at specifically uh, Joseph. OK, so we look at Joseph and we've seen Joseph. Uh, you know, kind of begin to talk about, man, I'm having these dreams. I'm kind of all that. Like, what you guys think? I'm going to be ruling you guys soon. Brothers get jealous. They try to kill him. They decide not to kill him. I would say because of God's sovereignty. And then they actually sell him. So he's a slave. He gets sold again from the Ishmaelites to um, to the Egyptians. OK, and then we see the story last week where he's sort of being faithful and we see his his ebb and flow journey. So that's what we're entering into right now in chapter 40, um, where he has been placed in prison. OK, so he's in prison uh, because uh, honey tried to step to him and have sex. He decided not to have sex. Potiphar's wife. OK, and she chased him around forever. We talked about that issue about us and having integrity, how he continually said, no, 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 no. I would not have sex with you. And then his, you would think the payment guy would say, you're faithful. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to bless you. You're going to have like, you know, platinum Rolexes and, you know, Bentleys and, and all that stuff. And it doesn't happen. In fact, he gets put in prison uh, because the, the wife lies and tells on him, puts him in prison. And that's where we are today. OK, but the cool thing is, all right, he's in prison. But what do we see? We see his character so awesome. And don't miss the character, the implication of his character. His character so awesome. The man is in prison and then they give him keys to the prison. They're like, man, you are so you waking up all the time talking about what you want for breakfast. You know, you ain't got no pot plate or nothing. You know, you just try to serve people. You care for people. Here, you want the keys to this place? And it says that the, the guy who's running things don't even worry about the prison anymore because Joseph has such he's such a man of character and integrity, such a Christian. He's walking with the Lord that, that, the, that the pagans are like, hey, give it to that guy because it'll make it'll it'll happen. So hopefully we left last week thinking about our jobs and what we do. Are we grumblers or are we people that say God is in full control? He knows what's going on. I know what I'm called to do, and that's to be a man or woman of integrity. And God will do his thing. And it might look different than what you want. It might look like you're going to prison or somebody lying on you. Right. Here we are. Chapter 40. Ready, guys? OK. Scriptures say sometime later. Sometime later, um, the cupbearer, the baker of the king of Egypt, offended their master, the king of Egypt. So 
uh, remember, the, 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 the place we're at right now, we're, we're in prison, and they give us a little snapshot of what's going on outside of prison. Uh, you got this cupbearer and this baker. Cupbearer, uh, if you guys know what a cupbearer is, this is a guy who, uh, these guys are very close to the king, the cupbearer and the baker, because if you know anything about men, we love our food, so you know the baker is really close to the king, okay? But also, the cupbearer, you might not know that, but the cupbearer actually... Uh, is a guy who actually drinks and, and, and takes partakes of the food and the drink before the king does, uh, just in case if someone's trying to poison or kill the king. Okay, so it's, that's a cool job unless somebody tried to kill the king. Right? Because then you die. So then you need another cupbearer. But uh, but it's a good job. And and history and history says that not not only did the cupbearer, because I know for a while I always thought it was just a drink issue, but actually the cupbearer was also a confidant. So the king actually talked. And connected and, and had advice. And so this is a very prominent role. It wasn't just about the food, but these are very prominent roles uh, that the king, uh, these two guys. And it says, um, <clears throat> let, me, let me just pause here. So let's think about Egypt real quick, because maybe we don't have a, a view of, of what's going on here. So Egypt. OK, he's in Egypt right now. And, and Egypt is, pre- is basically uh, the most powerful nation in the known world at this time. Okay. Um, in fact, when you think about Egypt, uh, so when we think about powerful lands and powerful nations, in my mind, I usually go back to, uh, you know, uh, near ancient East, uh, uh, near ancient East history. And I think of first century, I think of Greeks, I think of Rome. Uh, you know, that's when, you know, you see all the different movies. That's usually the periods that they talk about when they want to show you a powerful nation. You know, um, uh, what's that movie? Gladiator. Uh, movies like that, you know, they want to show you how powerful those times were, right? When you had uh, uh, those, those, uh, when you had Alexander the Great come and he basically conquered the whole Roman world and the whole known world, made everything Greek and Hellenized it uh, for all that time. If you have any history buffs, you, you probably identify what I'm saying. Well, here's the issue, though. It's funny that Egypt doesn't get a lot of airplay because Egypt was probably a powerful nation like this for 12 to 1400 years. They are probably the most powerful nation in the known world for 12 to 1400 years. In fact, uh, historians would say that they were more powerful or had longer duration of, of being powerful than both uh, the Greek and Roman empires combined. So just want to give you a picture of what we, when we talk about power. So this is this is way powerful than what we even try to celebrate, even in Hollywood, things of that sort. These guys are the stuff, right? Extremely wealthy. All culture comes from these guys. They know they're the stuff. Uh, everything, everyone's trying to emulate, figuring out what they're doing. Okay, and, and I thought to myself, that sounds like you know, kind of like we can identify with that in the U.S. now. I think we're kind of, I think we've kind of gotten kind of full of ourselves. We're probably one of the most powerful countries in the in the world, right? If not for the last you know, dec- uh, well, 100 years or so, we've been very powerful and we're, we're, we're really young. OK, uh, so so I think that I, I bring it up to say, I think as we look at this story, we can begin to see, I think, some correlation between where we are today, actually uh, being in America. I want you to follow this and being a powerful nation like Egypt was then, because I wonder what are we doing with the stewardship that we have? Uh, this, is, this is a question I have. OK, so. Let me continue on. So that's what's going on. So when you see the word king of Egypt there, uh, Pharaoh, which is what he was, uh, says was angry with his two officials, a cupbearer and a chief baker. We don't know why he was angry, what they did. It doesn't give you that um, description. But it says, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, which is 
Potiphar. Remember? He's the captain of the guard. All right, you guys, now I want you to do your exegesis now. Remember the last story. So, so in, the, in the same prison where Joseph was confined, okay? Verse 4, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. I love that. So, <laughs> can you imagine you guys go to prison and you get, yeah, I didn't know. Do they do that in prison these days? They give you like a prison mate assignment? Yeah, I didn't think so. I didn't think they did that. But he was so awesome. They're like, well, you take care of these guys. And check this out, guys. Uh, it says, uh, the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So I don't know if he came to take care of them, but he sees they're sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? So, I don't know, I'm just imagining you in prison, you know, you're talking to brothers like this, you know, you're just kind of like, what's wrong, man? Like, why, are you, why are you so mad? I know we in a, I just, do you ever put yourself there? Like, put yourself in this place. I think it's kind of bizarre. I think it's funny, but, um, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. I mean, they're having a real bromance moment here. Like, like, he's still talking about their dreams and they're kind of sad about them. And it's just interesting to me. So, so he says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So, so let's pause there for a moment. Um, I, love the fact, I love the fact that, um, that the text wants to pause here. And a couple of implications here that I want to see is this as we deal with the supernatural. Um, notice a few things. So he says, doesn't interpretation of the dreams belong to God? And I love the fact that what it's given us is given a snapshot in a few things. And we'll see this as we move on in chapter uh, 41. But I love the fact uh, that God is sort of subtly saying to you that you don't you can't just know dreams unless I reveal them to you. So I love that. I love the fact that right here, there's just something about that. You know what? The supernatural, um, there's a supernatural realm that we open ourselves up to when you become believers, first of all. Now, there's a supernatural realm, whether you're a believer or not. But you open yourself up on a serious way to supernatural realm because you're saying, Christ, I believe you died, rose from the dead. And you're saying, I want you to enter my life, be my king. But here's what happens. What happens is in our journey with the Lord, there begins to be discussion. All right. So the question is, uh, God begins to share things in your heart. You begin to figure out what does it look like for you to listen to the Lord. But you need to begin to exercise and really work hard and be very intentional about learning that language. Why? Because God can be speaking to you, but also demons. And so what's interesting is that this whole dream piece here. I love the fact uh, that he makes it. He makes the focus guy. But but I, I'm nervous. If I bring that to today, I'm very nervous because when we talk about dreams and interpretations of spirituality, a lot of times we think that just because you're spiritual, it's godly. But I just want to be really clear. If you're new here or if you're Mac Avenue, we say this over and over again. Just because something's spiritual, just because you're entering into the spirit realm, maybe you're having dreams, maybe you've seen something supernatural, maybe God has done something, uh, maybe you've even heard voices, doesn't necessarily mean that it's God. It can also be a demon. So there's something about having discernment of knowing the difference. And I love the fact, a couple of things. I love the fact that right here, here is um, Joseph. And let me just make this clear. How long do you guys think he's been in prison? Who He'll be in prison. Maybe about 13 years. Okay. So he's in prison for saying no to somebody that want to have sex with him for 13 years. And these guys come up to him and say, tell me this dream. 
And it's just very interesting to me, his demeanor. How are you doing? He's caring for the guys. They give him the keys. He still has his character. To the point they want him to give him the dream. And he's not mad at God. He says, only God can tell your dreams. Let me talk to my king. Notice the character of this man. He's not defaming God. He's totally, at some level, the author wants you to get that his relationship with God hasn't been budged at all based on his circumstances. Matt. You. Is he making a bold statement there, or is I I don't remember if he's saying, like, "Hey man, my dreams haven't come true yet, but God's still the interpreter of them. I haven't seen the fruition of anything bowing down to me." And kind of reiterating himself, hey, reminding God, himself, like, "Okay, Lord." Well, reminding himself, Lord, the interpretation I thought my brother's been about on me, hey, that ain't happening. But you still are the interpreter, and at some point. Yeah, so he so, so he said he wanted because he thought maybe he knew what was up and obviously it wasn't working out for him. So he's like, man, I don't. I'm just telling you, interpretation belongs to God, not to me. Um, my only issue with the only reason I don't know if that's necessarily what he's saying is because even when he gets those interpretations um, in the past with his boys, I mean with his brothers and his dad, it seems that he that the, the author wants you to know that he knew that was coming from God. So I don't even know. You see, I wonder if. He's poking at the issue that, hey, you are worshiping pagan gods. Interpretations belong to the real God. In fact, you guys think Pharaoh's God. That's what they thought. Egyptian, right? You, they, Pharaoh saw himself as a God. And, you, and even if you didn't believe that as the Egyptian, you didn't say you didn't believe it because you get killed. So Pharaoh's God, he thought he was a God. And I wonder if there's some, some play on a word like actually the real God can tell you the dream. But that's, a, that's, a, that's up for debate. Both of those. I think both of those, you know. Um, I think you're still operating in line of, of good theology, but I wonder if he's just trying to make a point that, hey, God's going to give you this. So the good word, man. He says, tell me your dreams. So they say, so the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, uh, in my dream, check this out, guys. This is going to get crazy, okay? In my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and it clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them in Pharaoh's cup, and, the, and put the cup in his hand. This is, what, this is uh, what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this, of this prison. So I, I love now. Here's, I love the I love the sovereignty responsibility piece here. Okay, guys, are we struggling with that? Okay, then so do you even think that Joseph doesn't see God as totally sovereign? A man who's in prison and he's still just chilling. He's not going. What about those dreams? I'm supposed to be ruling people. I'm supposed to be the man. What's going on? He's not doing that. So at some level, he probably wouldn't use the word sovereign. I don't know. Maybe he would. But he knows that God is in totally, total control of everything. And he still says, hey, if I, if I hook you up with this dream, remember your boy. You see that? He still, he still is saying, hey, I want to get out of prison. So I'm going to try and use whatever I can to get out of prison. I think that's really cool. That's just a little implication there. I think it's interesting that you still see some responsibility where he's moving forward, even while he's totally trusting uh, in the Lord's sovereignty. Uh, but also, I want you to see something here. It's always nice uh, to give people good news. Like, isn't that cool? Like, isn't that not, like, when you, would you, would you guys... Um, be scared to, to tell that interpretation? 
You know, someone says, hey, what do you think about that? Yeah, you'd be like, oh, sweet. Yeah, here's what's going to happen. You're going to get blessed. You're going to get all this money. You know, you're going to be back in control, giving a drink to the king. It's awesome, right? So that's, that's, that's always good, right? But notice what happens here. So he gives them this good interpretation, says, you're gonna, in three days, you're going to be installed back to your position, right? Well, we, we continue on. It says, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, let's pause there. I love that. I love that the, the author, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, what happened there? Did I grab on something? Can you hear me? I love that the author, the author here wants you to see that for whatever reason, um, the guy says, you know, after he saw Joe, after he saw the favorable interpretation, almost I wonder if like he's like, well, he's, oh, he's telling good news. OK, well, let me tell you my dream kind of deal. One and one and more good news. Right. So he goes, and says, let, let me let me give it a rip. Since so he got blessed, maybe I'm going to get hooked up, too. Right. You, no, no one ever did that. Huh? No one's ever seen someone getting hooked up and you try to get right in line. You're in the coat. Oh, I'm the only one. OK. All right. I'm the only sinner here. OK. So he says, uh, he said to Joseph, I, too, had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. Uh, in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Uh, with this. Uh, but this is what it means. Joseph said, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh. <laughs> so can you imagine? Can you imagine you go up to somebody and you say, can you, this is your dream the other night. And then the response is like, in three days, you will be dead. In three days, you're going to get killed. You're going to get hanged in three days. So I'm, I'm sorry. Can you imagine? How would you share that information? Would you share it? Let me take you something somewhere real quick. Look at, look at, look at First Kings. This is uh, further in your scriptures. First Kings, chapter 22, 6 through 8. Uh, this is um, Elijah. Uh, the king would get mad at Elijah. Okay, let me, t- let me show you why. So the king of Israel brought together the prophets, about 400 men, and he asked them, um, I'm sorry, but he asked them, uh, shall I go to war with Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for the Lord will give it into uh, the king's hand. OK, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, uh, there's still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord. Now, so the people told him, do what you got to do. The, the Lord's going to he has these people in your hand. Right. But he says, I still want to know what's going on. Like, can you give me one more person? And look what he says here. He says, yeah, there's one more person. But actually, he's a true prophet. But look, what he, look what he says here. He says, um, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me. But always bad. Every time I ask him, something always bad happens to me. Um, he is Micaiah's son of Imla. So he says, uh, the king should not say that, Joseph, Joseph had replied. I wanted to show you that because I thought, I, I love that passage when I, when I read Kings. Because I love how there's something about when you think of false prophets. Uh, we think of false prophets a lot of times being individuals who tell lies. But in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, a false prophet is also someone who withholds the truth. It's not simply that, oh, you lie to people and now you're a false prophet. But you're also a false prophet when God has given you a prophetic voice, i.e. being a Christian. I will propose to you, you have then become 
prophetic in nature. And I propose even in Revelation, that's why it talks about the two witnesses, the two, the two prophets is actually representation of the church. Because God is saying that we as his people, when we say yes to Christ, we become his witnesses and also his prophets. That means that we become, we bear truth to the world. We remind the world that God is king. Jesus actually rose from the dead, that he actually is coming back. And then as you walk around as a doctor and as a dietitian and as an awesome mom and all these engineers and all that, you walk around as a business owner. What you're also walking around as is as an indictment to the world that Christ is going to come again. And so the question that the text brings here, when you think of, uh, you watch Joseph's integrity and you watch him getting the word of God and just saying, hey, man, I can fudge this thing. Right. I could say, man, look at this. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but maybe something bad is going to happen to you. I want to tell you the truth. So when I look at that, I thought to myself, wow, what a good word for us at MacAv. Because I thought to myself, man, I, I think one of the things that we really have to wrestle with at MacAv is because of the nature of what you guys are doing as we're all hustling for Jesus here, is that you're in these relationships and you're in these discipleship relationships. And the question I have to ask you is, do you consistently tell the truth? Are you telling the truth to your brothers and sisters in these relationships? Or are you lying? Are you a false prophet? Are you sitting there knowing there's glaring issues in their life? Are you sitting there knowing that they're not speaking the gospel, they're not hearing the gospel, they're totally not teachable, and then you sit there and you eat meals and you pray and you act fake and you don't speak redemptively, you don't show that you love them enough to say, I'm going to tell you the truth, even if you don't like me, even if you leave MacAv, even if you talk bad about me, I'm going to tell you the truth because I actually love you. It breaks my heart that we have an environment where we could be extremely redemptive. But for whatever reason, you've chosen to say, I believe the gospel is like this, and I'll do it my way. What the Lord has said is not about you. Please, just tell the truth. Just love people enough. I don't care if people leave. Because wherever they go, it's going to still be in the back of their mind. Tell you something, guys. We've been here. We've seen the game long enough. We've seen the game long enough. Where people leave and they dog us and they make fun and they, and they lie. And you know what? A lot of them come back. And they say, my fault. Because they actually experienced someone who actually loved them enough to tell them the truth. I just, I just ask guys, please, let us, let us be a body who just says, you know, I don't, I, me telling you doesn't mean I have it all together. It's not about me, but I'm going to tell you the truth and I want you to tell me the truth so that we can walk the Lord together and have a clear expression of the gospel here. He tells this guy that he's going to die. And some of us are scared to share the gospel. He tells a guy he's going to die, and he's in prison. Guess what? He has to walk by and pass this dude all day for three days. Can you imagine what the meals were like? Hi, man. What's up, bro? Hi, George. You know, hi, Dan. Hi. You just told this guy earlier he's going to be dead in three days, and you got to feed him. You got to see him. You know, you're going. You're in the weight room. You're like, oh man, why are you lifting weights? You're going to be dead in three days. And you know what I'm saying? Like, what did that combo look like? What does it look like? You don't think that was awkward? You don't think the guy pushed back? 
Do you think he just said, okay, I'm there. Thank, thank you for telling me my dream and walked off somewhere? I guarantee you there was drama. Guys, I just, I just wonder, because here's the thing, and, and I say that because I know our body personally. I know our people. And you guys are the most amazing people I've ever been a part of. And so I'm like, man, if, if we would just free ourselves and just be who we are in these relationships, God is and will do a great work. And guys, I, I get it. There's an ebb and flow. Some of us, I know it's because sometimes I'm sharing with you, sometimes I'm not. And some of you guys are doing an outstanding job. Some of you guys, but we're struggling, guys. And we have to learn how to just say, I'm not going to be overly responsible, but I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be faithful. And I am going to be honest. The scriptures read, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, guys. It says, and he says, and he gave a feast for all his officials. So basically he had a birthday party. It's my birthday. So you talk about a crazy guy. Think of, okay, we talk about unbelievers. He killing cats on his birthday. You know what I'm saying? You can't wait till the next day, bro. And he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer. And the chief baker in the presence of his officials, in verse 21 says, he restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. He kills him. He's dead. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Okay, so you're this godly man. You're walking with the Lord. You've been played how many times now? Have you, have you guys been keeping count? Brothers almost tried to kill you. They sell you off. You get sold off again. Hoochie try to tell you. You try to have sex with her. I mean, come on. How many times? How many times? Now, you, you help a dude. You give him a dream. You bless him. Okay? Forget you. Are you cussing? Are you cussing God? Are you... You're just like, wow, praise the Lord. Man, another opportunity to be faithful, to trust the Lord, to be consistent, to, to, not, to, not, be, to not, not to be naive like these situations aren't happening. You could tell he wanted to get out of there. That's why he told the dude, look, man, I gave you this dream. I want to get out of here. He wasn't being lolly da. He didn't want to be in a dungeon. But at some level, he still is operating out of character. This blows me away. How do we do? How are we doing, guys, as we suffer? Are we a suffering body? There's a lot of guys. See, here's the thing. And Matt Gav, you are here. And you guys are fighting hard. And there's a lot of stuff going on in our body. I mean, we just brought up. We got, you know, Dre, we got the Crawfords with the suffering of how do we serve the mom. Uh, they moved here on purpose. They didn't have to move. They could have been, they could have been anywhere in the, in the country. They come here. Uh, they, you know, they, they you know, uh, the health care of Bentley has been, you know, horrible in the D. You know, I mean, I can go around the room. Uh, Chanel and how you've been fighting hard in the journey. Uh, uh, we got, you know, the bouts, uh, the whole thing with the, the postpartum and all the stuff going on there. I mean, my man Jay is going to be, you know, won't probably have a, we don't know for sure, probably won't have a job in a couple weeks. I mean, there's stuff. Some of you guys are newly married, and you really haven't shared with the Matt group of how you've been abusing your wife or dealing with stuff. We got, we got parental things that come up where we want to see our, our moms and dads be modeling the gospel. I mean, I just took one of my, one of my friends with me to see my dad last week. Was that last week? 
last week, a couple of days ago. You know, can't walk. You know, just been just been clean for a month or two from crack. See, I mean, porn addictions, marriages on the rocks. We've had uh, people close to us die, brothers. Guys, I think we are. I think we're suffering. You know why I know? Because the body, the Lord tells us we're going to suffer. I think we are suffering church. That's not the question. The question is, do we suffer well? There's drama in here. All up in here. I mean, I can go on and on. I mean, the pain I see even when you, as you're just trying to be wise and parenting and parenting the kids. I mean, situation, I mean, just a broken relationship with my in-laws. Guys, there's story after story after story after story in this body right now. Trying to, how do I be a godly man and marry a girl and care for her well? How do I transition? How do I work well as a, as a professional? How do I fight apathy? How do I lead well here? There's so much stuff. If, I was, if, if God was going to peel the layers, there's things in our hearts. The question that the Lord is asking us is, will we suffer well? Will we know those things are there? Will we know that the guy left us and he left us with kids and, and men have been horrible in this community and is fatherless? But glory, you're king. Will we suffer well? It's a question. Betty? Mm-hmm. So, in our suffering, if we have a chance to get out of it temporarily or whatever, if God doesn't allow that, it's obviously God's not allowing it. But is there ever a time to, like, like the family, like take a break from someone who, you know, just riding in and in your face and, you know, doesn't want the gospel and everything else? Is it okay to, like, create some distance to then create new space to come back to God? You're talking specifically in relationships. I'm talking about in relationships. Wow, that's a hard question. Well, no, 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 no. No, but yeah, um, I, I would just say this. Like, I think the thing, where we, we, and as I look at our body, I'm, I'm going body like, the, the question I'm asking, uh, just, I hope this can answer at some level, um, is, is as we're suffering, as we're, as we're dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with, sometimes what can happen, and I think by fear, um, and this is with the relationship piece. Yeah, if it's a cantankerous relationship and you've been trying to share, 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 and the hearts are hard, I personally say, the scriptures say, hey, wipe the dust off your feet. But that, you know, and you, and you continue to try and find hungry people. But if it's a relationship where there is sin, there hasn't been reconciliation, there hasn't been forgiveness, um, like, for example, our situation, um, I just see it unhealthy right now just to enter back into it. And so we're in that process. So definitely the question is, there's no right or wrong in a sense of like, I mean, there's right or wrong with this sin, but it's a gray issue. And all I'm saying is before the Lord is how do we handle trials and tribulations? And so I don't have a, a, a padded answer for this situation, this is what you do. What I can say is, are we walking with the Lord? Are we trusting the Lord? Are we radically confessing our own sin? Are we being honest? Are we doing the things that God has been so clear about? 
Because what I'm seeing in our body, and this is where I'm trying to ask the Lord, give me, give me understanding, Jesus, how do we work here? And don't miss this. I feel like we can get so caught up in all of our different problems uh, and all of our stuff that we actually, uh, we just lose our missional voice here. And that's my biggest fear is how do you balance, how do you balance not ministering and forsaking your family? Don't do that. And don't, and don't be a bad steward of your life. While at the same time, where it's always something to the point where you can't engage the culture here. Where you, you, where we can't even do what we, what we came here to do. And I'm just going, guys, like, at some point, I don't, and I don't think it's because there's so much stuff. I think at some level we think, okay, when everything is perfect, then I'll engage culture. Or when everything is tight in this area, then I'll engage culture. And I want to propose to you, I think God is asking you and me to have an ebb and flow where we go, while there's chaos, I'm missional. Because it seems that Joseph was like, well, man, when I get out of here, I'm going to be all about Christ. I'm going to be like, hey, tell you about Jesus. Tell you. It seems like he's like, look, in the drama, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have this ebb and flow of what does it look like to be on mission. Does that make sense? I really want us to think about that as a body. Um, so he said, so, so he forgot him, guys. Let's continue on. It says, when two full years have passed, so he goes, God forgets him. I got two more years, guys. Okay? Years. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. Again, we talk about the sovereignty of God. God is in control of everything. Notice the Lord. So I love how, I love this. He wanted to get out. He did his thing. I love that God had to get him out. Check this out. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river came of seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Verse 5. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of Grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them for him. What is God trying to say here? I love this. So he gets all of all he sent, you know he gets all of Jehovah's Witnesses. He gets I mean he gets all the different magicians, the the Mormons. You know he gets some he gets some you know some Muslims. He's like. You know what I'm saying? He gets everybody. Hey, I'm going to get everybody who can do some of everything. And I'm going to get all y'all here, all you magicians and you necromancers, you witchcraft cats, and I want you to do your potion, your, your abracadabra, and help me figure out the dream. Okay? So he tried all that. And I love that the Lord is like, I ain't going to let it happen. Because, see, here's the funny thing. You can have, see, so, see this could have been different. He could have got the magicians and they interpreted the dream. Because I propose to you, sometimes God will allow uh, Satan to do things like that to masquerade as an angel unaware. Okay? So you, you can get that. My point is that, that you, don't, you don't basically go by the supernatural to know about God. Just because someone can interpret a dream doesn't mean they're Christian or a believer or love Jesus. That's my point. So you can't go, oh, so the reason why we know it's from the Lord is because he's able to do it. God just wants you to know that whenever he wants you not to do it, you won't be able to. God just wants us to always understand that we are still under his rule and his reign. And guess what? So are demons. Um, 
So I love the fact that they, you can do nothing. I got all the people. Oprah, you know, name them. Everybody can't do it. And then, then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. He's like, God gives him a number. Oh, man, there's this dude. Dude, I know you've been looking for this dream. Man, this is homie. He, I mean, he is crazy with the dreams. So he says, verse 10. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and a chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Verse 12, now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dream, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted uh, them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Uh, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon, when he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. What's the insight there? Okay, in a dungeon, two years, 13 years in all. I love the fact that author wants you to see that the shame had to get him tight. Why? Because he was nasty and dirty and right, stinky and guys, he's in prison. 4,000 years ago. No dish TV, no networks, no, no weight rooms and cafeterias. It says, um, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. No mention of God at all. But I know you can do this dream thing. I don't even care who you serve. Um, I love this. Look at, look at Joseph. Now, this is Pharaoh. Okay. Pharaoh. So if, if Egypt thinks Pharaoh's God, obviously somebody instituted that belief. Pharaoh thinks he is God. And look, look what he says. I cannot do it. So first, um, I cannot do it. I love the fact that you, you ask yourself, so how do you know, you know, because people, you know, people can give me a hard time because I don't have much patience for all the, 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 the spiritual babble dabble stuff. And like, and, 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 and when people want to come and act like they have like sort of this hotline to God and no one else does but them. Here's, here's a key litmus test that makes me know, like, I don't know if it's from the Lord. Because usually when people talk like that, all the prosperity theology, all the look what I can do, usually they talk way more about themselves than God. A key indicator is you'll hear the person talk way more about their gift and what they can do and what they know and how all this stuff than God. Where Jesus is exalted and they're made low. If you don't see them made low and God made high, that's just one, not the only, but that's one that says you can go, I don't know if you are serious about if God is really speaking to you, bro. Because God wants the glory. So why would he exalt you in that way? Just a, just a thought. So he says, I cannot do it. Hey, it's not about me, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give you, Pharaoh, the answer he desires. Will give, will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I love that he says, look, I can't do it. He could have got killed right there, Right? He's in prison. He comes in. Hey, I want, I want to get this dream. I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. I went through all these people. No one can tell me. Do you have the answer? I cannot do it. What you go around for? I love he says, I can't do it. But he says, but God, and I love you. Can you imagine Pharaoh having to deal with the fact here of, wait, if he's saying God can, but I don't know the dream, then maybe he's saying I'm not God. I'm sure he was probably doing the math, right? And so, but notice, so I love that how God in the story gets the glory and, and brings Pharaoh low to say, bro, so you're supposed to be God. But guess what, by the way, if you're God and you can't interpret a dream, 
you're probably a weak God. And he shows him, dude, you, you think you're God? You can't even interpret a dream. You're going, and, and I love this, not only can you not interpret a dream, and you can go to somebody, you can go to somebody just as powerful to interpret it, you can't interpret a dream, and you had to go get a slave who was in prison for 13 years to do it. Who's not even part of your race. You talk about humility? It says, the scripture says, um, I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all of the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the fat cows, seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one can tell that they had done so. Um, they looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grains, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but no one could explain it to me. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grains are seven years. It is one and the same dream. He didn't barter. He could have said, if he's going to tell you this dream, then you need to probably hook me up. You need me right now. Or, you know what? I mean, just, just guys, as you're reading the story, think of the character of Jacob family. Think of how you just see this consistency of just beeline kingdom, focus on God's glory. And guess what? Really caring for the people. He's in a foreign land and he's really caring about how to serve them. He serves radically the people in prison. He serves his boss, Potiphar. He even serves his wife by not defiling her. And he's sitting here and he's going to sit here and he's thinking about what does it look like for me to serve these people? Do you see that? Do you see the consistency of his disposition of humility and other centeredness in the midst of his drama? He's the prisoner. He's the broke, ugly, nasty looking hair all over the place dude who's getting played and lied on and, and forgotten. And yet he keeps coming up saying, how can I serve? How can I bless? How can I, how can I be kind? How can I love? It just says, um. He says, uh, where am I? I told, uh, the magician can do anything. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. Uh, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. The, they are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine follows it, that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Love that. Love the fact that God, he's saying, look, there is absolutely nothing you can do about this. Again, just showing you God's power and, and almost the, the humility that, 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 that Pharaoh has to demonstrate now because he's saying, guess what? 
God, is, God wants you and me to understand. Imagine these guys walking through the wilderness, um, you know, down the road, and they're reading this story. What are they remembering? They're remembering that Pharaoh had to sit there and realize that whenever God wants to show you that he's in control of you and your country, he will. That he's saying right now, by the way, Pharaoh, I know you've been, can you imagine his whole life? He's a man, all these blessed, all these things, good things happening to him, all this stuff. As if God is sitting there going, I should judge him, but I just can't. God's going, that was all common grace, bro. I am in full control. And if I wanted to kill you now, I would kill you. If I wanted to bless you now, I would bless you. If I wanted to have a famine on your land now, I will do it. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So Pharaoh has to hear that. Can you imagine having all that power, someone telling you what's going to happen to your land? I hope that just gives us a clue about the Lord you serve. See, I want us to understand something. That God who has that control over the world lives in us. And he's here right now. And he's here over your circumstances and over your issues. So this is not some history where we look and go, wow, that's so cool for them. God is saying, I wrote that for you so you know that same God who is unchanging lives in you and me right now. And he's in his community and he's doing the work right now in our lives. And that he's no less powerful than he was when he told Pharaoh, the most powerful person in all the known world, that you're absolutely nothing. I'll do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I'm God and you're not. That's the God we serve. The scriptures say... Where am I? Let Pharaoh, I'm sorry. This says, then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine follows it so severe. Um, he says that one in this famine will go down to verse 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Verse 33, humble. <laughs> let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land and take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Uh, they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in cities for food. Joseph gives him the game plan. Joseph, Joseph could just gave him, gave, him gave him the interpretation and say, now what? I do what I got to do. You told me to do that. So he, he, there's some, the, the author wants us to see that he had a, a sense of otherness. That he said, I'm not going to just give you, I can give you the dream, but God in his sovereignty said, I'm going I'm to give you the dream and let me, let me break down some God-centered wisdom. Now, why would you say there's God-centered wisdom, Eric? Well, let's look what the text says. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by, by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, look, look at this. It's Pharaoh, guys. You see that text? You see that sentence? Can we find anyone like this man? Okay, not one who's really smart. One in whom is the spirit of God. Man, this dude got the Holy Spirit. Listen to this brother breaking this down. Gave me a dream. Oh, gave me the whole game plan for the years. This is crazy. Can you imagine? He says, man, in our whole land, I don't know, I haven't met anybody that has the Holy Spirit. For all, for all that matter, guys, Joseph could be the only Christian in all of Egypt right now. That's not highly unlikely. This is a pagan land. There's not mission trips and stuff at this point. He says, man, you're the only one that has the Holy Spirit. And he listens. Look what he says. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes and fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. All right. It's not some rap video. I know he like. Mm. So. Right. But look at this. So. But here's the question, guys. Look at what happens. See, I was like, what, what, what's going, what would be the one thing as I look at this text, man? There's so much stuff going on here. It seems to me, and for the sake of time, I'm, sort of, I'm not going to fly through. Uh, we're going to go through the next part next week. Uh, that part right there. Um, the last part of, of, 40, of 41. But I want to just hit, I want to ponder these two things. So notice that, that Potiphar humbles, I'm sorry, that, that the Egyptian pharaoh humbles himself. And says, man, you are wise. And he begins to submit. And Joseph is there to just be a conduit. Just to say, hey, here's what the Lord has said. Receive this. No backbiting. No frustration. Just consistent. Just a consistent witness. And I begin to ask myself, man, like, like is, is my witness consistent? Is, I, I, when I look at the theme here, it seems a one big theme. is like, here's a guy who's modeling Christ to a nation of unbelievers consistently. I think the main point will, will, will be determined later. But one of the key implications is we're seeing a guy who's modeling Christ consistently. So when I think of Joseph Faithfulness, his witness, I'm going, what do you think? What do you think about his witness? What do you think about his, uh, his faithfulness with the Lord? Are you pondering that? I want you to ponder that in your mad groups. I want you to think about that reality. Look at his witness. See, guys, I say that because I look at our body and you know how I feel about this, this group here. And I'm going, man, we, by God's grace, we just got the roars. We got these, we got all these people here, the dimmers. We should be making the gospel known consistently in our community. And we got to figure out a way where we're able to make the gospel known. And this is not a burden to you. I'm praying. I pray that all the time, guys. I look at you and I just see sometimes just to wait of like, oh, I got to go to this appointment. Oh, and I got to say this thing. And it breaks my heart. Because it's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a joy. It's supposed to be a joy to be able to meet with another brother or sister and talk to them about the Lord. And see them walk with Christ. And see them take shackles off by the power of the Holy Spirit. And to see them be more free in the gospel. To see them paying their bills and getting a job and, and not cussing out their wife and, and actually enjoying each other. It shouldn't be a burden. Our discipleship relationship shouldn't be a burden. It should be a joy. Being on mission in this community shouldn't be a burden. You shouldn't feel like, oh my goodness, another thing. Oh, I know you're living, Lord, so I guess I'll tell people. I'll try. It should be a joy. The model just seems so clear. Whatever level, he, he saw a consistent joy of like, I'm just going to make it known. I'm just going to tell people what's going on, who's doing it, what's going on, why it's happening. I pray that we would learn how to have an ebb and flow, how to have a rhythm in our body. Where we're not always navel gazing and going, when I only deal with this one last issue, I promise. That just comes off, that sounds like a lot of duty language to me. When I do this one thing, I'll do this other. Versus, you know, all this stuff is going on. Hey, let's go meet our neighbors, sweetheart. Let's go engage our culture. 
I mean, we were talking this morning. Let's go. There's some youth playing in the street. Let's just go say hi. There's no reason why hundreds of people aren't hearing the gospel weekly through this body. There's no reason. There's no reason. I've seen people with half the caliber that we have. Because <laughs> you guys are unbelievable. So I just pray that the Lord would free us. Free us and give us perspective of our stuff. Recognizing our stuff, but not being held captive and pigeonholed and, and, and paralyzed from not being who we are in Christ. Guys. And most importantly, God's faithfulness. Contemplate God's faithfulness. If you think about wanting to move here, people are like, I want to move here, I want to give you an interception relationship. I'm like, you don't get it. These people are crazy. I'm talking about you. Not people who are serving. <laughs> They're like, oh, talk about me. Yeah. We are crazy. I think you have to be crazy to come here. I think you have to have, I think we all kind of a little off in different ways. Praise the Lord. And you laugh but you know it's true. And guys, I'm asking you just to remember God's faithfulness. He's showing us his power so that we don't think we have to use our own. Look what the Lord did. Hey, we're going to have a time of communion. Uh, let's do this. Uh, guys, I love you. I love this body. I think, I love, I mean, I just think this body is an amazing group of people. I'm so blessed to be a part of this body. And I just want us to be trusting the Lord and believing the Lord for what he's already told us. That's all. I love you guys, man. Hey, uh, when we do communion, here's what we're doing here. Uh, we're going to bring uh, the wine and the bread up front. And we just ask if you're a believer to please partake. If you're not a believer, we ask that you allow these elements to pass by you. They're just for those who love Christ. Um, because what we're doing right now, when we take this, we're saying, Lord, we believe you died for us, that your body was broken for us, which is what the bread represents, and that your blood was shed for us, uh, which is what the wine represents. And so we take this um, in with repentance hearts, saying, Lord, we are proclaiming your death until you come again, is what the scriptures say. So that's what we're doing right now. We're celebrating the Lord. Now, if you are, if you were an unbeliever today, you're like, man, I want to give my life to Christ. Man, say, Lord, you're my king and Satan is not. I am not. Give your life to the Lord. The Lord says he cleanses you of your sin. He makes you his child. And this can be uh, one of your first acts of worship today uh, where you partake communion with the Lord. And you say, I get to do communion because I love Jesus. And so we ask you to do that. But do this soberly. Don't play games with the Lord. Um, the scriptures talk about people even dying because they play games with guys doing and are irreverent during a time like this. Um, so we just ask you to partake. Please come on down. Uh, we, we do this. Please, you can, you can t partake anywhere you want at any time. We're going to be singing out to the Lord. And worship our king. This is the time of worship. As we're thinking soberly, you worship, though. You, you respond to God based on who he is and what he's done. And you sing out and you praise him and, and just bless the Lord because he's freed you. And now we pray that there's no one in here who is still in shackle by sin. So partake anywhere you want, sit at your seat or whatever, and um, 
And then what we'll do is we're going to do a tithe and offering. We ask that if you're new here, please let the, keep your purses and your wallets to your side. You're our guest. We thank you so much for coming. We're not trying to get money from you. Uh, Mac Average, you get it. It's worship. Give to your king. If you are a Christian and you are a visitor, but you understand that tithe and offering is a time of worship and you're not like padding our pockets, then please give to your Lord. But this is not about Mac Average. This is really about your relationship with the Lord. Um, that's why we give, because he's given us everything. Um, with that said, let me pray for us and worship your king. Come down at your leisure. Pray, get your hearts right in Christ. Repent of sin. Confess your sin. And then come. If you're harboring sin, I want you to stay seated and continue to deal with the Lord. We got time, okay? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity. We pray that we would worship you during our time of communion. We thank you for breaking your body for us, for being murdered for us, Lord, and shedding your blood. That we, um, we don't have to be murdered. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord Jesus, we thank you uh, that you've given us all this stuff. We thank you that we pray that our time and offering will be a worship to you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.